Welcome back to the On the Blue Couch podcast with Kathleen Brennan. This podcast is about any and all things related to therapy. Hi, all. I'm here with Michael Brightwood. Uh, he's a cranial sacral practitioner at Rancho La Puerta, and that's actually where I met him a few years ago. Um, and I'm really excited to talk to him today because I found really positive benefits from participating in craniosacral. It was the first time I'd ever tried it. I had heard things about it and was willing to give it a try. I wanted to sit down with Michael today and talk more about a little bit of science behind it, the philosophy and the thinking behind it. So thanks for joining us today, Michael. Is there anything you'd like to add to what I just said about uh, what you do and where you are right now? No, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. My, my current practice is uh, pretty much full-time at Ranch La Porta. It's not open just now, but uh, when it reopens, I'll be back there. Nice. I can't wait for it to reopen. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe today we could start with how you discovered craniosacral and your path to now practicing it today. Um, I got into uh, alternative uh, healing modalities. My dad was an MD. And so my whole childhood was every time something came up, we did it strictly the medical doctor approach. And when I had an injury in, in my teens and doctors just couldn't get it, even surgery, et cetera, et cetera, medications. And so I began exploring uh, other ways of, of being, uh, in fact, the first time I saw a chiropractor and I told my dad, he hung up on me. So I knew I was onto something there. Um, <laughs> I, I got into doing massage because I liked getting massage from my injury. I was hurt, so I, I took courses in massage and eventually became quite adept at what's considered deep tissue work and had a number of, besides regular just massage client base, uh, probably about 20% of my practice was with uh, doing the somatic part, the body part of healing with people that were dealing with trauma. And so I was, would work with a therapist. I wouldn't do the therapy, but anything that arose that was material, I'd you know, stop for a second and, and write it down, make little notes, or after the session, write it down. And that said, this would be some really an important piece to work with your, your talk therapist. Um, I came across craniosacral therapy when I had Bell's palsy. So Bell's palsy is where the nerve that runs your smile and part of your tongue and your ability to blink, et cetera, gets impinged and turns off. Looks like you've had a stroke. So I was quite concerned. My acupuncturist sent me off to see a uh, craniosacral therapist, which I'd never heard of. And being in the deep tissue, I was quite concerned for the first about 40 minutes because it looks like craniosacral therapy looks and feels like the laying on of hands. And so I kept thinking, well, when's she going to get started? When, you know, nothing's happening. But 40 minutes, 43 and a half minutes into my hour, my face turned on. It was like this rush of energy across my face, down my arm, and I could smile, I could blink. And as far as I could tell, she was doing absolutely nothing except first holding my feet, 10 minutes holding my sacrum, which is the bone at your hips for 10 minutes and then holding my head for another uh, almost 20 minutes and bam, my face turned on. So I said, whoa, there's something here. And so I uh, was by, you know, good karma, grace of God, whatever, living in Devon, England at the time where the world premier teacher 
of biodynamic craniosacral therapy has his institute. And uh, there are a couple of different flavors or streams of thought about, you know, how to approach craniosacral therapy. But that, that's how I got into it. Um, so then how do you describe what craniosacral is to someone who's never heard it before? So the, the cranium is the vault in which your brain resides. The sacrum is encases the other end of the central nervous system. So you could consider saying, oh, this is central nervous system therapy and would probably mean about the same amount of <laughs> information. You know, the craniosacral is a clunky term. It's an energy medicine. Um, sometimes it's a light touch with very, very subtle uh, tissue manipulation. Um, biodynamic is pretty much not tissue manipulation. There's a whole stream of craniosacral therapy where they do very, very, very light touch, like if a flick of your hand, of your finger onto your hand is an ounce per square inch. That's 27 grams. They do very light, like three grams or four grams. Five grams would be a lot of pressure. So it's at the other end of the, of the spectrum from deep tissue work, obviously. And what we're doing is we're contacting the central nervous system with our hands. And we can palpate, we can feel a subtle, respiration that is separate from cardiovascular, that is separate from pulmonary, that's a direct part of the central nervous system. And we call it primary respiration because it shows up um, embryologically before there's a heartbeat in the embryo. And so, you, you know, people in the East call the energy field that the central nervous system generates, they call it an aura. But what it is, you know, in the West, they call it a biofield. And your brain produces a radio wave that's measurable. 10 to 15 on the AM dial, literally. Your brain is broadcasting a holographic image of your perfect body. And we get that information from some science and some other things, uh, like what they call Kirlian photography. Somebody invented a film that instead of taking light in when they take a picture of a person, it takes in radio waves. And so you can get a picture of your radio broadcast. And for instance, if you take a picture of somebody that's an amputee, it doesn't matter, that absent limb is still being broadcast and it's visible on the photograph. So in physics, when you have an electromagnetic impulse, which is a radio wave impulse, through a fluidic medium, 86% water balloon, our body, it generates a wave phenomenon. Like if you took a radio transmission unit, put it at the bottom of a still pond, and turned it on, on the surface very quickly you would see um, riffles, you would see little wavelets. And if you changed the frequency of the radio broadcast, it would change the frequency of the, the riffles on the water. In our bodies, the radio wave produces a wave phenomenon that's longitudinal, toes to head, head to toe, on about a 28 to say 35 second cycle that's palpable. And so, you know, acupuncturists, when they put their hands on your wrist, 
they're they're palpating um, three different levels. They're able to palpate these very very subtle things besides your pulse. Yeah, most people can put their hand on their wrist and palpate the surge of blood through their you know that's that's your pulse. Your feet can feel your pulse. You can feel your heartbeat. So there are uh, palpation experiences you can have to know that we're just not making stuff up. And what I found in my class is it took uh, the 20 of us, most of us had this sense of this wave phenomenon, and it took about two or three days for us to really get a sense of following it regularly. And this is what we call the health of the system. The radio wave is broadcasting, and the fluids in the body are responding with this wave phenomenon that is, is regular and palpable. Now, where you have constriction in the tissues or uh, activation in the brain or the central nervous system, the wave phenomena as it moves past that region will have a disturbance, a perturbation, and we can palpate that. Not only are we able to feel the flow, but we can feel the places where it's constricted and the flow has to swirl around it, like when you watch a stream. You watch a rock, how the water goes around the rock. It's a pattern. It's, it's the same kind of swirl over and over and over again. And so when you have constricted tissue, as that wave moves past there, there's actually a shape. You can feel this, this disturbance and it has a three-dimensional quality to it. It has a direction that it's going. And so we spend a few minutes just listening to the whole system when we first put our hands on we center ourselves that means we're aware of our own bioelectric midline we are aware of being grounded which is also a thing you, have to, you know there's part of being conscious of being grounded uh especially if you're wearing rubber shoes these days rubber soled shoes uh where i work i have tiled floor that's tile on cement that's on earth so i take my shoes off so i'm literally grounded. So if there was an electric current and I was standing on it, I would get a decent buzz because I'm grounded. And so we put our hands and listen, and our two systems begin to communicate with one another. And so we have a lot of respect to the other person because they're a complete system in and of themselves. But there becomes a resonance. Our uh, fluctuation of our wave phenomena begins to entrain with one another. It's not unusual for me to be working on somebody's, say, digestive system, and my digestive system starts to squirt and make sounds too. That's common. Uh, there's sometimes when I put my hands on, and then I'll get a pain in my body that's not one of my pains. It's like, oh, that's new. Okay, so I, I remember to bring my hands. So what's going on over here? So there's this communication that comes through the hands. And so part of what we're doing is we're working, directing, uh, this is a little bit esoteric because quantum, when you say the word quantum physics, people kind of go, oh, what's that? Okay. So when you have two or more people gathered thinking the same thing, it expands that field. It's called, a, in, in physics, it's called a unified field. And sometimes just the intention to have the body to shift. My hands are there. I feel the wobble. I hold the wobble in such a way that I think 
that I'm showing the other person's central nervous system someplace where it's become disorganized. Sometimes I'm just, if has anybody brought their hands together slowly and when they get to a certain distance apart, you feel a tensile feel. You feel like there's something between your hands. That's your radio broadcast. You're palpating your own aura, your own field. Uh, when they do, they have scientific measurements that measure the hands of hands-on workers. And some people, you know, like you have a certain level of broadcast that happens with your 10 to 15 on the AM dial. Okay. It can increase up to 10,000 times that potency when you bring your attention and start to work with your hands in the bioenergetic field. And so we're working with a field phenomenon. Like you can feel magnets, you can feel the, 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 the pull of magnets, you can feel this tensile field between your hands. Uh, when you've ever done the party balloon thing, you rub it on your shirt and you hang it on the, you can feel it when it glues onto the wall. Those are all field phenomena that humans can usually feel. And, and so craniosacral therapy is working in biodynamic approach. We're mo mostly working with the response of the fluids and that fluid tide I was talking about. We often will work in the field itself where we're not working with tissues at all. And occasionally, because of the way I was trained, I was trained in both. Sometimes I'm a little bit osteopathic where I'll put that three to five um, grams of pressure on. So, like this one guy is skied into a tree and he had a major disturbance where he had made contact with his head. His head did not want me touching it. Like I got too close, it would actually push it away. It was like a, you know, the, the, having the magnets of the same poles, trying to get it, he wouldn't go, which is like push my hand away. So I was working in the field only, not working in tissue. After a while, it allowed me in. The system allowed, sort of drew my hand in and I was making contact. And then I worked a little bit in the tissue field as well because working just in the field, just in the fluid tide, wasn't getting a shift. And so what happens when I work and there's a, the, what I'm doing is I'm doing biofeedback to the central nervous system. I'm saying, here's a wobble. Oh, look at this. Gee, does it really have to be like this? You know, often it's a held trauma or injury, sometimes psychological, that the body is still protecting itself with. And it doesn't need to be there. And so very quickly, the body can begin to let it go. And when that happens, often there's an involuntary physical shift in the, in the, in, in the uh, client on the table. But I can certainly feel it in my hands when that pattern, that circular, like the, the swirl around the rock in the stream, when that pattern begins to shift and break up and resolve, it will feel very different as it's doing that. It'll be a little bit, if it's, if it's just trauma, it'll have a pulse boom. If there's shock in there, it'll have the the pulsing plus this electrical sort of like electricity in ginger ale sparkles in my hands. And then I know that's shock coming out of the tissues. 
and the body is letting go of the way it was protecting itself, even though it didn't need to protect itself anymore. So that's, I hope that has some clarity. It's a little bit esoteric. You know, I get a lot of people that uh, it's airy-fairy until they have a session. <laughs> I've had M M MDs come in and very skeptical, go out as believers. Well, I know I walked out a believer, and I'll just share, and I think I shared this with you um, prior, is that I didn't realize that I was holding some sort of charge kind of in my chest, lung, heart area. Mm. And when it was gone and there was the absence of it, I didn't realize how many years I'd been carrying that around and just living with it. And it was so fascinating and so freeing. And it was pretty much soon after, like a month, I really noticed it after the craniosacral. It really set in. Um, and it's been absent ever since. And it's strange not to have that charge. That is actually really uncomfortable. <laughs> so that's what made me a believer. And I want to continue to you know, participate. Um, but it's, uh, does that sound like release what I'm kind of describing? Yes. When, when a person notices a difference, sometimes there's less pain, often less stress, um, or less sensitivity to memory. That's a good, that's a good sign. We call it resolving. Mm -hmm. Something has resolved itself. And it's not me doing it, it's me just showing the central nervous system and trusting. You see, we think that what's being broadcast, this holographic field around the body, is your central nervous system's projecting its perfect self. And the tissues, your body carries the thumps and bumps, and your emotional field, your brain, the biochemistry, does as well. And so this is just a reminder, oh look, this is activated here, this is holding and constricted here. Gee, isn't there a different way to hold this? And it liberates the, or points it out to the central nervous system, it begins to do self-healing. So I'm engaging the self-healing quality of the, of, the, of the human system. Occasionally you hear about that, you know, people that had you know, cancer and tumors, and a week or two later, it's gone. The body mobilized itself to take care of business. And that's what craniosacral does. We're helping the body by pointing out places that it's just, you know, put energy in, stored it there, and it you know, doesn't revisit it. Central nervous system works in real time. You think, you know, at night it'd go back and take care of business. It doesn't. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's what a lot of the body therapies that I read about talk about is we have a natural healing mechanism and there's something about, but we need to be working with healers to get it moving and resolved. And craniosacral is one of the ways to do that. It, it is. And, and people ask me, well, is there something that I can do at home? And, and, and there is because just the thought, and practice of grounding and centering. Those are actual states of being. So our intention is very, very powerful. Those of you that have ever been, you know, felt like somebody was scoping you out and looking at you and you turn around and yeah, there's some, some guy checking out you, you know, how does that happen? 
there's okay. an, a field phenomena that you're percep perceiving. And so when the intention is, both of us agreeing, the intention here is for healing. And if the more specific about that you get, the more unified the potency is around that self-healing. How do you experience potency? I know you've used that word before. Okay. And how do you expand on that? Okay. So um, potency in general is we're palpating this fluid tide. And as it finishes heading towards the feet and begins to move towards the, the head again, heading the other direction, there's a little surge. And so the how potent that surge is gives me some data as to how much potency is available. And potency is like how strong it, how, how uh, energized is your own battery. And so I'm using your battery, your brain, your system for self-healing. So some people come in very depleted. You know, it's not unusual at the end of the year, you know, December, January, people are getting their, you know, two weeks in and they spend a week at the ranch. But they've been doing, you know, 60 plus hour week jobs. You know, if you're in financials, it's probably closer to 72, where you're just really, and then you're drinking coffee. So your adrenals are, are like tired. And, and so there's some people that come in and I'm going, boy, are you alive? You know, it's like very, you can feel it after it's shifted, but there's no surge at all. And so there are ways to help the whole system settle. It turns off the tide for a, a number of minutes as the system starts to pump up, and then there be this. Will there will be this sort of yeah? It has a kind of a pumping feeling as the as the system starts to build more potency, and uh, when it, when the system comes back into the fluid side again, I've got some battery charge. I can get something done there. And so it's, it's a sense of that fluid tide. And sometimes the potency is not in the fluid tide. The potency is in the field. And it's like you try to get something done by holding just energetically right in, in that wave phenomena. Nothing's happening. And if you just to expand your consciousness, instead of just holding their body and a little bit of field around them, if you change, and, and, and I always track people's midline, that's a, a, a measurable electromagnetic spark that you can actually feel. And there's a stream of energy that comes from tailbone, always streaming up the central nervous system, and it, it actually broadcasts out through the middle of the forehead. And it's many people, when I put my hands out about 18 inches, I have them close their eyes, they can feel me swirling and kind of playing around with it in that experience. So, um, so there's how much bioenergetics is exhibited either in the field or in that fluid type tells me how much potassium that may work with. I'm also aware, and we've talked about how you have a history in um, studying counseling. Did you, didn't you practice for a little bit? I did. When I um, was first changing careers um, what, 30 years ago, 
Um, I, you know, I was doing massage therapy. I had all this emotional content on the table, mm -hmm. wanted to have more verbal skills. And so I got a graduate degree in uh, therapeutic counseling. You really studied that, yeah. And so, and so I, um, what I found though, was it took so long, you know, if you're, if you're a talk therapist, you know, it's like 18 months and then the lights start to flicker on this sort of awareness of your own issues start to become something you can be aware of and work with and name. And once I came across craniosacral therapy, and I saw how quickly things can resolve. It was like, that was, it was easy to shift over. So, but what it allows me to do in my practice was that, you know, I have a uh, you know, fairly decent set of verbal skills. So I can be with just about any story that arises. I've heard that a story that's freaked me out so bad. I had to say, well, you better go see somebody else. So, and, but you see, you know, assault, sexual abuse, you know, these things that people aren't thinking as part of why their neck is sore or why they're, they, they have hip pain. But um, it's not unusual, like with your experience, where you had an emotional something and it was weighing down your heart, basically. Yeah. It's not like a pain in the heart or a constriction around your, you know, your love center. And so we, that's just one of the natures of the human system is we will internalize often just emotional stuff into our bodies. And so to be able to shift and have things instead of taking 18 months, you know, take, you know, I haven't had very many conditions, you know, sometimes, you know, the post-traumatic stress back from uh, the Middle East was like a six month journey or so. But, you know, usually we're talking about, um, you know, 10, 12, 20 sessions takes care of almost everything I come across. I mean, you know, it's, you know really, where your life is on the line for a prolonged period of time does have an effect. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you're, you've really moved into talking about the emotional healing, trauma healing. Is there anything else you want to speak to as far as how it's become more integrated into trauma healing, previous cycle? Yes, we, we've embraced uh, the uh, Stephen Borges, who has the vagal theory, the triune theory about the vagus nerve. Uh, we've embraced um, Peter Levine's uh, trauma work as part of the, our philosophy and understanding of how trauma gets held in, in systems and practices to help it resolve. And all allowed us, as we're dealing directly with the central nervous system, to be able to address um, trauma of all kinds. And uh, sometimes it's just emotional trauma. Sometimes it's an emotional trauma based on something that happened a long time ago, but it's still persisting. And there's ways to get the central nervous system to resolve that and come back to what I call default. Default. So default is, so if you have a normal, natural, healthy birth, no traumas, no you know interventions by hospitals, you're at home birth, everybody around you is loving, um, and you have a good childhood, you know, with just the normal thumps and bumps, then default for your consciousness is, I'm here, I know that I'm here, and I'm ready for whatever happens. 
-hmm. That's default. And people that carry an emotional charge, emotional burden, have that taking up a certain percentage of their consciousness, of their psyche is involved in trying to contain the trauma so they can get on with you know their job or get on with school. And so um, being able to help people resolve the way that their central nervous system remembers um, trauma. And it's, it's a biochemical thing. And um, it's just there's ways to help the body come back to itself. Um, so if somebody's looking for a practitioner, I know that this is, you can find people internationally. So there's a lot of people and practitioners to choose from. What do you recommend for people who want to see a practitioner for the first time or they've moved someplace and want to meet with a new practitioner? How do they find a, I would say quality, somebody who has experience, how do they find that out? What questions should they ask? A practitioner. Oh, that's a good question. So, you know, I'm I'm part of a, of an association that is we'll call biodynamic training or sacral therapy. That means we working mostly not in the tissue field, like an osteopath. Craniosacral came from the osteopathic uh, called the cranial field of osteopathy. So, but there are excellent practitioners that are working in that three to five grams of pressure. That have you want somebody that's had somewhere between four and six hundred hours of training, and probably two or three years of experience, and then you explain what your you know you, whatever your issue is, and ask them, is this something you've worked on very often? Um, many people will you know specialize in certain areas, and so you know like I hear people. Uh, that specialize just in children or just just infants. Um, I hear, you know hear about people that are working just with the psychological stuff. Uh, I hear people uh, who work primarily with uh, physical injuries, and so you want to make sure that there's you know the person that has that amount of training and experience that is ha is you know has experience in what you're dealing with. And you know, sometimes, like working at the ranch, you know, not people calling me up on the phone saying, oh, have you ever worked with, you know, I guess, you know, there's like a long list of things I've never worked with before. Uh -huh. But I get a chance to do that. And um, which is an advantage for me. So, you know, I've had people, I've worked with people with you know, multiple personality disorder successfully. Uh, helping you know, people work with Meniere's disease that I never thought I'd be able to, to do because it's, it's the, Meniere's is where you stand up and you get vertigo. And um, yeah, so there's just, you know, a number of, of uh, things that I've had experience with because of the, the clinic that I'm in. Uh, but often people in private practice will find a way to, um, you know, find what where they really feel connected, and that'll be the primary focus of their of their, their skill set and their practice. So you would Sorry. call them. You would Google them. Um, our um, uh, my association is called craniosacraltherapy.org, and there's a practitioner referral uh, function in there, 
and, but I would still ask the same questions. You know, you know how how long have you been in practice? What is your specialty currently? So, is there a way for people to be more intentional with their energies? I'm hearing you talk about how powerful actually our own energies are and the interaction with other people. So, what I do if I if I'm going to bed and I have or I need to work on myself because something's up digestive wise or you know, pain in my shoulder or neck or jaw, you know, the first thing I do when I lay down is I will imagine from my tailbone going right down into the earth. And sometimes I can actually get a picture of it coming out the other side. I've looked at the globe so I know that from where I am, I am south and east of Mauritius, out in the Indian Ocean. So I'm really grounded. I'm really earthed. And it's a state of being. Oh, you hear people say, oh, he's a real grounded guy. It's, yeah. that, that's, that's, and then for, and then so I center myself. So I become aware of a stream of energy that enters from out of the earth, we believe, geomagnetic energy from the planet coming into our field. And once it hits our central nervous system, it gets transduced into electromagnetic energy. That's what we're producing in an electromagnetic field. And there's like an antenna right up the thick bony part of your vertebrae. And when it hits your skull, it angles out through your forehead. And it's always there as long as you're alive. And so that's centered. Oh, that person stays very centered. So it's another state of being. So I grounded myself and centered myself. And then I take my hands and I put my little finger of one hand on my pubic bone, thumb on the navel, little finger on top of that thumb, and then that thumb up at my uh, sternum. Mm -hmm. And it's reminding me of my midline, number one. And then I'm feeling, believe me, my hands, whatever is there. And it just allows it to settle and settle and settle. And there comes a place where it's almost like you can feel a gear shift. And there's a certain expansive quality. Like all of a sudden you feel like you're, you're shifting out into a larger field. And you are. You are now connected with your planetary existence. And we use the words in our philosophy. This is a philosophical philosophy point of view. That there is an intention to incarnate. You're not just, you know, shoved down the tube. Nope, you volunteered to be here now. Okay. So there's that. And we can we come here with something to do. We have things that we want to fulfill. My first career was as a Montessori teacher. And that was our job. What do you want to know? Here, let me show you how to find out that. And uh, the more that people can strengthen their own field by being centered and grounded, listening to what's going on internally, what is their impulse and their intention? That will allow them, to, I think, to be a more effective themselves. Whoever they are, they can be more effective just with that sort of approach to engaging with our bioenergy and our, you know, and our biological self. I feel like what I'm about to ask could be its own episode, but I'm really interested. How do you think that the internet and our cell phones and 
all of that impact um, our fields? And what can we do to protect? That's a good question. <clears throat> they, they have uh, measurement um, equipment that shows the radio broadcasts of comes out of cell phones, that comes out of computers, or, or any of those electronic things. And you know, I don't, you may not be old enough to have had a, an old style TV as a kid, but your mom used to say, don't sit so close to the TV, it'll fry your brain. Because they had these major cathode tubes who were pushing out tons of energy out into the field, right in front of yeah. them. Nowadays, if I walk in front of one of those old TVs, you can feel it. When the computers first started, what did they? The monitors were these big cathode rays, and you were sitting like you know, 12, 14 inches from it. Mm-hmm. So in Europe, the cell phone, you know, that little piece of paper where you get in, it's like you know, t- thinner than Bible pages, with all the you know, agreements that you're agreeing now that you own this. There's a paragraph very much towards the end that warns you about the EMFs. And in Europe, they don't allow, it's illegal to give, in the EU, to give children under, I think, 12 a cell phone. Because they realize the amount of energy that comes out. And in San Francisco, when they passed a law to require warning, like a cigarette warning on a cell phone, new cell phone package, they, the tech companies, they went absolutely berserk. And they had to rescind the law because they were going to be in court for a decade over it. So the manufacturers, just like cigarette, people knew nicotine would kill you. They know about uh, the EMFs. It does disturb things. It can definitely disrupt your field. I, I can hold a cell phone up, and I start my head starts to get hot pretty quickly. So I'm always on speakerphone. Um, I have, there are little EMF dissipators you can get, you can put on your phone. Good idea. You know, have, have headsets so the phone itself is away from you. Don't carry it in your shirt pocket. Don't carry it in your pants pocket. You know, have it. <clears throat> you know, if you're really paranoid about being tracked, they have these really nice lead-lined, um, carrying packages that makes it so that you're not getting the EMFs while it's turned on. And there, you know, the 5G one, there, there was some, a friend of mine was talking to one of his friends that, that was uh, in charge of the Google 5G program. And he's saying, man, this freaks me out a little bit. We don't even, we know that it's dangerous. We don't know how dangerous. And because it's the, it has to do with the frequency. Okay. There's ways you can shield yourself from certain frequencies. The longer the frequency, the easier it is to make some kind of protective field around yourself. Faraday cages are obvious ones. But when you have super micro, which is what 5G is, you would have to have something smaller than an insect screen around you to protect you from it. Because it's such a small, it will get through. So, yes. Electronica is bad. Another one you want to, they have people that will test your house for EMFs and where the hotspots are so you can avoid having your chair next to it. One really important one people don't think about is where your power comes, you know, the, on the roof you have the, your electrical power come in the little uh, thing on the roof, and then it comes down the wall into the meter. Mm-hmm. If your bed is on the other side of that wall, 
you're doing yourself damage for sure. Um, smart meters are not that smart to have uh, because they're super, super powerful in the amount of, of EMFs they produce. And in physics, when you have a wave, our body's wave, body wave, and you intersect it with another wave, it changes the original wave. That's just physics. You, you know, you intersect a wave with another wave and it disturbs the original wave. So we have our wave phenomena, 10 to 15 on the AM dial, and anything that's impacting that in any 10 degree can generate uh, a disturbance in your field and eventually in your body. That's my take on it. Okay. And if there are disturbances, then it's like something invading, something toxic? Is something, is so, okay, so if the biofield is broadcasting your hologram mm -hmm. and you infect, you affect a part of that, that part of the body then is uh, available to be disturbed as well. And so, you know, there, there was one of the first guys that got on it that had brain tumor. He was a brain surgeon. They think, I think it was my cell phone. I was like about 15 years ago. They've done enough research to suggest, yeah, you want to have your cell phones. I mean, you hear it fairly common. Don't carry it in your pocket. You know, don't, don't, don't carry it on your body. And that's, it. that's a good idea not to do that. So is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you think would be important for people to know? Well, you know, if we were talking about, we wanted to talk a little more about trauma. Yeah. Okay. So the, the way the brain works is, you know, we have memories, but when something is happening, whatever it is that's happening, we have a, an emotional response usually. You know, if you're, you're a normal person, something happy happens, you laugh. You know, someone's giving you a good massage, you'll have bliss, you know, something unhappy or you're sad. All of those emotions are generated by the biochemistry of your brain, the neurotransmitter soup. You know, which ones are in there? You know, you got a lot of oxytocin, you're feeling really good, like somebody just hugged you forever. You know, if you have some of the, the ones that are part of the fight or flight, then that's where you, where people carry trauma is because um, you can get overwhelmed if you if you're if say you're being assaulted by somebody bigger than you you're fighting like crazy you can't get out your brain's going oh my god I, I'm I'm failing to you know fight or flee I can, I'm I'm failing here and so that then the system starts to go into shock and often the fact that shock is present around trauma, it will glue it in, it will lock it into, um, sometimes your constant presence. Other times, it will just be part of your memory bank. And so I don't know if you've ever gone into a building and you say, oh, that's, you know, smells like my old school. Oh, I had that, you know, it's like, okay. So our, the part of this remembering that is called the amygdala. And so it remembers the emotional content of a potent time. And it remembers the biochemistry of that time. So the reason daydreams are so pleasant, you sit there and you get, it's because your amygdala is mimicking the biochemistry of that time out of your memory. 
and you go, oh, it's out here. You know, you, 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 that's just with the way the brain works. Same thing with trauma. You know, people back from a war zone, a truck backfiring, the slam of a door. All of a sudden, their brain is flooded with the biochemistry of that other time. And so that's why how trauma can continue to live in your uh, central nervous system. Uh, some of it is good, good memories, and some of it can be very deleterious to your you know, overall health and ability to function. What craniosacral therapy does, this is a really cool part, is we, when I'm working with somebody, with just some people that's come in, nothing physical, but I've got this emotional thing. First, I'll help their system settle. That's a thing. There's a way to get, put my hands on the head, and I can feel woo, 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 it's activated. And then also I'll help them center, help them ground, and then hold the activation enough so that it settles. There'll be a little shift, and then I can feel the system settling. Often the people will feel interesting when that happens. They'll either feel like they're sinking into the table, which is more common. Sometimes it feels like they're floating away. And it's just, you know, it's the same thing. Their body has shifted out of, you know, whatever the daily activation is. Then I'll have them remember a time in their life when things were really good. So I got a memory with a biochemistry that's a helpful biochemistry. Happy moment, okay, your happy thought. It can be just the, the perfect sunset or catching the perfect wave or holding your baby for the first time, whatever. So that's the oasis. So when you start to get into deep water, I say, okay, it's time to shift over to the happy thought. And so what I'll do is I'll say, okay, now I want you to start thinking of this instance, whatever it is, and you know, within about Four or five seconds, it starts activating. You start to feel wobbly. And I usually let it only go like about first time, you know, 12 or 15 seconds. And I say, okay, let's go over to happy thought. I'll take that activation, use my craniosacral skills of holding it, showing it to the midline of the central nervous system and saying, do you need to hold this the same way right now? Oh, you survived and you're okay now and it will settle. And so over the course of an hour, we can go back and forth like five times. So what I'm doing is I'm not erasing the memory. I'm resolving the biochemical charge. And so people can have their memory of whatever it was that happened, but it doesn't affect them when they remember it. They don't get that flooding of the biochemistry of that other time. And sometimes, especially, you know, for the, with a handful of, of vets returning from the Middle East. And, you know, back in the Vietnam, you went over for 11 months. When you came back, you never had to go there again. We're sending people over four, five, six tours of duty over. And at this point, more people have committed suicide than have died on the battlefield over there. It's like 115 a month are committing suicide from military trauma. So they're a, 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 a longer work because they, they have this, you know, I was, I could die today, go on every day for five years. That's a long time to be in that. And that's its own biochemistry. So as I help people settle, I like to see those people like three times a week for the first month.
just to get some progress, just to get some momentum, just to give them hope. Because after a little while, like sometimes two or three weeks, they can start to feel there's less pressure there. And then I give them um, diaphragmatic breathing, which is fairly uh, common and popular these days. So when you breathe, when you breathe in, your belly comes out. When you breathe out, your belly comes in. Hardly any chest motion at all. A little bit in the chest at the very end of the in-breath where your belly comes out first. And then your chest for the last, you know, so it's like if you do six seconds in-breath and a four or five second out-breath, you want them a little bit different like that. The vagus nerve, which innervates the breathing diaphragm, is sending a message back to the brain. It must be safe here now. Look how soft that belly is. Because if you think of the startle response, <gasps> diaphragm mm -hmm. comes up. Okay. So that's when you can give the feedback to the brain. Everything's okay. You can do it just by your breath. And then there's another one that, that is called the mammalian orienting response. And so think of Bambi's mom before she came into the meadow. What did she do? She's got her ears up. She's slowly scanning left to right, right to left, a couple of different times, ears checking out. And you, when you come into a room, you very consciously turn your head as far as it will go, so you're looking behind you, and then tell yourself what you see, bookshelf, light, corner, curtains, chairs, and you come back around so you're seeing 100, you know, 360. And then you scan back through again to make sure you didn't miss any terrorists hiding under the chairs. And then it's enough data to help your brain. Okay, right now, right here, I'm safe. And so those two, you know, cognitive skills can help people settle when they start to feel activated. And so what I find is working with these vets, for instance, um, is that um, after about a month or so, they can start, to, if they get activated, they can feel it, but they go right into orienting and breathing, and it brings them down. And so going full into post-traumatic stress, they can feel it coming on, they have interventions they can do, and then over time, just taking it, it takes the pressure off of the amygdala reaction to just the subtle, like I say, the slam of a door, the smell, some little hint. And that's all the amygdala needs to get going. So there's, that's the way with emotional trauma, the craniosacral can really hold a lot of benefits for people that are burdened by you know, childhood abuse or rape or being mugged or beat up or you know, being in a military zone for a long time. So it's, it's one of the, I think, great gifts that's available for people that are holding on to something that's really in their way. Mm -hmm. And I imagine, and what I'm thinking of is that it's also a gift for people who have pre-verbal trauma, where there aren't, it's stored in the body differently because there, it, wasn't, it was not encoded with words, which were not, then not connected to images, so there isn't much access like you would if you were 10 or 11. Well, uh, circumcision trauma is a really good example of this. So, you know, somewhere in the first week, they're taking teeny baby boys, and when I was coming, it was like 90% of guys, zero anesthetic. 
and it was highly sensitive. They, they had to strap you down so you were completely, and then you have this amazing trauma. They, they've done brain scans where it actually changes the shape of the brain. Yeah. And so it's one of those traumas, pre-verbal, you don't know why you're so rageful as a teenage guy. And so, you know, once you have an idea of what it can be, then all you have to do is work in that same activation. You know, what is it that pisses you off? And then they start to go into that place and you can begin to dive down. Uh, are your parents still alive? Oh, let's hear the story about your birth. Ask your mom or ask your dad. You know, and I have a friend named Ray Castellino. All of his students are craniosacral therapists. You have to be a craniosacral therapist to get into this course. And he works with birth trauma uh, that affects uh, attachment and bonding. Primary building blocks for the uh, maturation of the psyche. If you don't have attachment to bonding, that's a healthy attachment and bonding as infants, you probably will have struggles in your life that you won't know why they're there. And um, sometimes it's just, you know, the drugs they give them off. They're dosed for an adult, and the teeny baby gets a full adult blast of whatever it is, whether it's Pitocin or anesthetic. And so anesthetic shock is a thing. So uh, this fellow can pretty much predict the drug of abuse depending on what the drug the mother was given at birth. Yeah, pretty interesting. And that ADD and ADHD often originate right around the birth time. It's something, you know, in your practice, you probably see people that are more resilient, people that are super sensitive, like empaths, people that like, you know, the teeniest thing affects them. So, you know, some kids slough it off, some don't. ADD is where your central nervous system is stuck in freeze. So we have two survival, three actually, but two basic survival strategies. One is when mammals were small and fuzzy and reptiles were big and hungry, there was no fight or flight. There was like, you get really still, close your eyes, your breath goes down, you disassociate, I'm not here. I'm not here. Okay, that's a survival strategy. If it's you're caught in the road and you see a truck coming, it's not a good survival strategy. Um, the other one is fight or flight. That's ADHD. People that are activated all the time. Nothing will settle them down. Little bit of branches outside the tree. They're all checking it out because it could be a threat. So sensitive, teeny, teeny sensitive ner central nervous system can get stuck in freeze or fight or flight, and then will show up as they develop as ADD or ADHD. That's fairly common. And then some of the drugs uh, will be predictors of uh, violence, anger, and then later some kind of substance abuse. So you know, that's all pre-verbal, and there are ways you know, to be aware of it, like my uh, youngest daughter was born uh, C-section because she wasn't there's no way she was going out. She was like she started going out, but she had the cord around her neck twice. And in her little wisdom, she refused to engage. She was engaged and then pulled back out of the birth canal because that was death down that way. 
So finally we see section, oh yeah, that's why. And um, interestingly enough, I just taken the course from uh, Ray Castellino and their little cry when they get upset, they'll be telling you their story of why they're upset. And so she would cry and be moving her hand, trying to get the cord around her neck. Her hand would, was like a pattern. And every time she cried, and so she was telling her story. So we knew that she needed early intervention. So starting about six weeks, we took her to somebody that was uh, a specialist in working with uh, infants. And it was very interesting because over the year, about three years, we, so we did about, you know, six or seven things settled down. One night we were laying in bed, her mom and I, and uh, she, the mom asked, and, and, and Emily was laying uh, on a, her own bed on the floor. And uh, her mom said out loud in regular voice, do you think uh, Emily needs to go see Peggy again? And Emily goes, and turns over. <laughs> and I said, I would take that as a yes. So in her four, you know, three to four and a half, we saw Peggy, this woman again. And she learned, Emily learned about her own birth story. So it became verbal. It became part of her consciousness. And, you know, at one time at show and tell in kindergarten, she told her birth story, for instance. And, you know, it was like the whole class was just totally enthralled. And, but it was something that would not impact her as a free, free verbal trauma. So went from pre-verbal trauma to then resolved and having words yeah. and understanding what was needed to be done, why that was done, and allow you to be here, you survive. Mm -hmm. Well, it even sounds like we're built with the desire to get help. You know, the fact that she communicated in that way to you yeah. just sounds so instinctual. And yes. Well, thank you for sharing everything on craniosacral today it's been so interesting and i want to read more any books that you recommend for people who want to learn more about craniosacral um there's a good on the craniosacralTherapy.org website there are good references to uh you know there's there's articles there and then reference uh referrals as well take care and i will hopefully see you at the ranch okay yes absolutely thank you Thank you for joining us today on The Blue Couch. On The Blue Couch is hosted by Kathleen Brennan, a psychotherapist specializing in trauma, anxiety, complex PTSD, and basically any form of loss or other life transitions. You can learn more about Kathleen and her practice at KathleenRBrennan.com. Check out her blog or follow Kathleen R. Brennan on Medium. Music for the podcast is the song Piano Hope by KB. This podcast is edited by Popped Collar Productions, a company specializing in creating innovative solutions through podcasting. Learn more at popcollar.net. Please share this show with others and hop onto Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcatcher of choice is and give us a good review. It helps others to find the show. We will be back soon to explore new adventures and new innovations in therapy right here on The Blue Couch.